0: Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources.
1: All right, welcome back to the Brain Mastery Podcast. Today, I have got a very accomplished guest. With me. Today I have Dr. Sarah Mackay with me. Um, She's a neuroscientist. Um, She is a professional that works in the brain health space, in both kind of education, in the healthcare sector, in actually coaching. Um, She's an author. Uh, I don't really know if there's anything she doesn't do. Uh, she is extremely accomplished and does some very, very interesting work and also specifically into kind of the women's brain. And I'm just very, very excited and privileged to have Dr. Mackay with me today. Uh, Sarah, is there anything I missed in your bio there that you'd like for me to add or for the listeners to hear?
0: Oh, no, no, I'm sure I'll, I'll I'll, talk as we go along and I'll pick up the vibe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Uh, so, Sarah, you're in Australia right now. Whereabouts in Australia are you uh, located?
0: Yeah, I'm sitting on the northern beaches of Sydney in the state of New South Wales. So, very beautiful part of the world. And right now, very fortunate part of the world to live in, too.
1: Yes. I
0: grew up in um, another coastal place. I grew up in Christchurch in New Zealand on the South Island. Wow. First, First 20 years of my life there, a bit of a break overseas in the UK. And then I've been here in Sydney for coming up to 20 years in 2022
1: wow well uh, I'm speaking with you from Vancouver British Columbia and Canada and just it's very very places. oh I love it here but yeah. you know Beautiful. um oh it is I think I think it is yeah. the, the, the thing <laughs> is I'm there I'm here all the time so I'm just kind of used to it so yeah But I hear that from a lot of people, and I hear the same thing about about Sydney. I've never been, but I I hear great, great things about about that city. And I can't wait to one day when we're able to travel, which should be hopefully relatively soon, uh, to make my way out there.
0: Might be sooner for you than they'll let anyone in and out of this country. We're looking mid-2022 at this stage. but
1: Really? Wow. Just
0: wait patiently. Yeah, I
1: understand. (laughs) Makes
0: sense. That may be.
1: Well, today we're going to get into it talking all things kind of brain health and education. And for people that are kind of listening here, typically, Sarah, these are people that are interested in brain health. These are professionals who work in the space. These might be people who are looking to just improve their own independent brain health. You know, you've done a lot in this space on the training and education side and the research side. What would be kind of one kind of theme, one, one kind of main message that you want for people to understand ar- around the world of brain health?
0: Mm, I'd like to choose two. <laughs> um, of course. I'll, cho- I'll, choose, I'll choose one as being important, the other being one being very important, but I want to elaborate on it, and that is the importance of sleep. But mm. I'm not going to elaborate on
1: that. It's my
0: favorite thing.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: My other favourite thing to talk about, an idea I'm looking at more and more at the moment, and certainly my interest in that was sparked thinking about women's brain health and thinking about the brain health across the lifespan is the idea of social connection and how our brains mm. are social organs and it doesn't really matter at which point in the lifespan you look at the greatest thing for another brain, or could also potentially be the worst thing for another brain is the connection with another, with another person. And if we look at normal development, if we look at the application of therapy, really the ability to build rapport and trust and empathy between two people seems to me to be one of the most powerful influences over, over the brain. And For me, that almost seems like it doesn't really kind of matter whether you're talking about teaching, whether you're talking about therapy, whether you're talking about parenting, friendship, rapport and connection between Mm. two or more people. It's so incredibly powerful for brain health and I think perhaps hugely under-recognised, although I think people have a much greater sense of that in the last year or so as to how they feel when they're not with other people. But certainly the neuroscience plays out in that way. And I'm really interested and curious in that space. And that's kind of where I'm exploring at the moment as well.
1: Oh, I love that. I love that insight. And you're so right. It's often not talked about. Mm. And, you know, yes, through this past few months uh, and year, you know, you think about that loss of connection and how, you know, in some ways we've tried to bridge some of that through technology. Uh, yeah. however i I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I mean, but maybe expand a little bit more because i I love what you're saying around you know the need for connection and the brain.
0: well, I guess we've got a biological mandate for that <laughs> from the moment we're born, and there's there's just so much evidence around this idea I when mean, we could call it attachment theory but whatever kind of words you want to use to describe it that you know we could feed and water and keep a baby dry, really it's Another person intervening in that baby's physiology and interacting with that baby and helping that baby's brain wire up. A baby's brain's born with sort of a genetic rough plan as it comes into the world, and then we provide the wiring instructions that a baby's brain fundamentally needs to to grow up and adapt and live in live in whatever world it's born into. Um, and then we see that you know little people go through. Children enter puberty, move into their teenage years. We see that with women when they're going through pregnancy. We see it in new mothers. At all different points in the lifespan, sometimes what is driving plasticity and the, the wiring of the brain is like wiring instructions, as I call them, that data input is, is interactions with other people. And I think in the last year, we can perhaps worry about the fact that we've had to connect digitally, but at least we have had that it's been better than the alternative, which was we couldn't connect at all. So right. I try and, because we haven't had an alternative, we've had to sort of stay distanced. And I have family outside of Australia. My husband's family's all in Ireland, so we know exactly what it's like and how hard that is. But being able to connect via screens is better than not being able to connect at all. So I think um, I try and look at it that way. <laughs> we've had something rather than nothing, and... And you know, I, I suppose, especially for 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 children, teenagers, and young people are different. You know, with the the connection, the that primary kind of caregiving connection, if it's loving and nurturing and safe, is with was with the family. And I think many of us have had to turn back inwards to our families and those connections. And certainly, I feel that very deeply. Those connections have had to be fostered and grown. So perhaps it's given us the opportunity to connect in a smaller sense instead of casting that net out wide and having shallower connections we've had to build deeper connections with people closer to us for those of us that have been able to do that
1: yeah no that's 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 one that you know for those that are listening you might want to rewind and listen to again because i think that's so um it's it's just so relevant right now Mm -hmm. and and i really do think that i mean i I think about our you know my two sons that they're around the same age as, as yours and we were just mm. talking about that before here. And I think for some of them, especially at the beginning of the pandemic with, with such heavy restriction, they were able to connect with their friends through technology. And if they yeah. weren't yeah. unable to do that, that probably would have made the situation even, w- well, much worse, yeah. I would think. So, yeah. I think
0: boys who are into gaming have <laughs> all right <laughs> in the pandemic. <laughs> and certainly, I mean, I can only speak from my experience here in Australia, which is an incredibly fortunate position to be in but my my oldest son when we were in our little mini lockdown for a very short amount of time compared to everyone else this time last year he we were allowed to exercise and we lived near the beach so I just drove him to the beach every day for an hour or so and he met a mate in the surf and he still had that connection and that exercise so we were able to engineer that in the kind of way that he needed but I know what, what teenagers need what the adolescent brain requires is the wiring instructions not so much from the, the mum and dad and their immediate family but there's a real shift socially towards the friendship groups and that's a biological mandate again we see that in all mammals that's completely normal much in all as parents don't really like it <laughs> that's just that's what they do they, they start seeking and craving the connections and interactions of others and those, are the, those, those kids going through that phase of adolescence have done it really really tough They've given up a lot for the older people. So I think we need to now focus on those groups of of people and think about what we can offer them. And it might not be mum and dad and a teacher anymore. It's probably going to be friends. Actually, I I was often thinking about this craving that teenagers have this requirement they have to connect with each other. My son got off the school bus the other day and he hurt his knee a bit playing rugby and um, he called me from the bus stop and said, can you pick me up? And it's about like a kilometre and a half walk. And I said, of course I will, darling. Picked him up, drove him home, and then 10 minutes later he came downstairs and he said, oh, so I'm going to meet my mates. And I said, oh, how are you getting there? He says, well, I'm walking, and he walked about two kilometres in the other (laughs) direction. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously the drive was such that (laughs) I know what what the motivation difference was there, and I was kind of cool to go along with it because it was, for me, interesting to observe the drive and the motivation for him to connect with his mates mm. was such yeah. that mind the two k war. and I just after oh, he went, you no, know, oh, that's what I want for him is is to be able to do <clears> that. <throat> but that for me, it kind of encapsulated that that drive that teenagers have to want it to, to be driven to connect with each other. Yeah. For me to foster that—that's that's how I look at that. People may question my parenting there, but <laughs> <here you go. laughs>
1: no, I I think that's such an interesting. At the phase of that we're in his parents, uh, I totally get it uh, yeah. like a hundred percent. And, um, and I'm the same, you know, uh, sometimes my kids will ask me to drive them to school and the school's like three blocks down the road. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, sure. And then they're like, oh, I'm going to go walk. It's the exact same situation. Yeah. You know, what, what's the lever? <laughs> that, that yeah, yeah, that's yeah. motivating them to, to yeah, do
0: yeah, that Yeah, i think that's fascinating to to see it happen and i definitely see to my older son my younger one not so much yet but he is a bit more of a, a homebody and he likes to potter around the house and entertain himself the other ones it's all friends and that's really yeah. cool to see and i'm just and and to, and to indulge him in that because there's so many boys his age that can't be doing that right now around the world so yeah
1: absolutely now when you think about you know the the again, that generalized kind of education and world of kind of brain health. If there was really one thing that you could focus in on and change and improve, what might that be? Uh, if there was just really honing in on maybe just one thing and it can really be whatever, whatever you think.
0: Well, I think going back to this idea that I think kind of at the the top of that hierarchy is that social connection and for people to <clears throat> perhaps, People within the world of therapy get, or and I'm using that very broadly, help, you know, in healthcare, education, that that kind of the, the helping professions, people can get quite mired in or sort of loyal to a particular treatment or tool or franchise. I have heard it being taught or called, or um, you know, particular methods, when more often than not, it's not that that's the key. It is that rapport and it is the interaction with a therapist or a teacher. And I think we need to pay more attention to understanding that often that is as, as important, that is often the key ingredient. And to to teach people who are working in that space the importance of building that trust and that rapport with mm. someone else. And that that kind of that shared attention when two brains are working together, when they are in sync, they are, you know, their brainwaves synchronise and they start to work together. When there's there's a shared focus, when there's a a conversation, and I think sometimes people focus so much on the tool or the franchise or what they are doing, they forget that often that key ingredient is, Mm. is, is is the interaction. And if we could just pay a little bit more attention to building that rapport and that alliance, I think that perhaps we would all be a little more successful.
1: Oh, it's so true. Yeah, and I'd, I'm totally with you on that one. I'd love to see that change, and and have more so focus it, on it. You know, yeah, just more focus on real,
0: it. Some people are natural at it. You know, we all had perhaps that that teacher who just got us. And I think that idea of they get me, and we've all had that 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 experience when we've met someone and we've clipped and whether that be a teacher or a coach or a you know, a, a, a doctor, and it's just there's been a clip, there's been rapport, and and that we've we've off we've travelled on this journey together, and then we've all been in that, you know, that situation you go in, and perhaps you're going to see some, you know, medical specialist or something, and there's just nothing. You just yeah. you're left cold. There's no connection for whatever reason, and 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 you and you know, there's an immediate loss of trust. There's an immediate. You know, increase in stress and anxiety. And I, I, you know, kind of think about this example. Well, this this happened to me a couple of years ago with a specialist, and it wasn't really a big issue, but I was just left cold and thought, gosh, you know, if I was really unwell or I really needed help or I really needed support, the relationship there is almost damaging. Mm. Um, I was, it was very dismissive and very arrogant. um, And I thought, That's not helping me in any positive way to heal. In fact, it may be detrimental, and I don't think that people think about that as being a key
1: ingredient. I think you're totally right, and it's one of those things where we think about the specialist, right? You know, we we often talk about that. You know, do you want the brain surgeon who's got a bedside manner? Do you want the brain surgeon who's going to get the tumor? And I think you want both. (laughs) you know, like that's the thing. I agree. It's the Venn diagram. We got to have both.
0: We almost, we say that to ourselves to make ourselves feel better. Um, But it would be great if we could have both.
1: (laughs) I I (laughs) agree. And And
0: as as as, you know, and there's a real power imbalance there particularly. And there is going to be, especially when we think about children and young people there's a real power imbalance. And it's hard if they, it's almost not their remit to build that has to come the other way. And if there was just a little bit more attention and thought paid to that. And I understand lots of people have compassion fatigue. And if you're in, you know, you're the other side of that, it can be hard. But maybe if we started to realize that from a neuroscience or a neurobiological perspective, more attention would be paid to it, along with all of the other things that that, people, all the other good work that people do.
1: A hundred percent. And it makes me think of the work of people like Simon Sinek and why are you doing what you're doing? Right. Mm-hmm. Are you doing it because you want to help people live a mm-hmm. higher quality of life through your actions and service? Okay, cool. I want to know that as you're, <laughs> you know, as yeah, somebody yeah, who's exactly. benefiting from your clinical services. Right. Yeah. And, you uh,
0: know, I, I mean, I understand, especially right now, talking about, and I'm not saying people in healthcare don't, don't aren't, aren't like that or don't offer empathy or build trust because there are a lot of people that are just, yeah. You know, were, you know they've, they've they've had such a tough time in the last year or so so it's not really what that's about but if I could create an, an ideal situation going forward it would be that attention was paid to that
1: mm. uh, so I love
0: it you get me I think is a really important sensation for someone to have
1: totally yeah I do you think of the good doctor as a good teacher so it's that capacity to connect and, and I think it's often understated I think even when we have that teacher that really got us, I don't think we very intentionally, very often say, "Whoa, she really took the time to understand where I'm at and to listen and to connect with me. Mm. right? Mm. And uh, you know we talk about that attachment theory. I'm just so with you. yeah, I, I love it. Um, what If there was one book, like if there was one book that really shaped things for you, what would that book be? The reason I asked this question? Is I'm curious, <laughs> and and two, we're building a book club for people to consider reading some recommended reads. So, what if there was one that kind of stood out to you that really helped shape some of your work and career? What would that book be?
0: There was definitely a book that set me off on my career, but there have been other books that have shaped it as much along the way. So, the book that set me off in my neuroscience career, and I think probably many neuroscientists and psychologists of my generation. Um, was Oliver Sacks' book "The Man Who Mistook yeah. His Life for a Hat," and if you've anything done anything in the neurobrain space, or you're a reader, you've probably come across that book. But for those who haven't, Oliver Sacks, sadly, is no longer earthside. Yeah. He's a neurologist and a really wonderful storyteller, and he wrote up case studies of the very curious thoughts and feelings and behaviours that emerged from the brains of of the people he worked with who had various types of injuries or illnesses. And I was recommended to read that book in a first-year psychology lecture at University Canterbury University where I spent my first mm. year. We had been learning about synapses, which are the connections between neurons, and I remember thinking, see, this, this is cool. I was just captivated, and I still remember the drawing of the synapse that I made, and then we were told to go away and read this book. And, and again, I was, I was captivated by these stories. I thought, wow. This is the brain, I, and I'd never encountered anything through high school along those lines because we're looking at the early '90s here. So that book really catapulted me into the discipline of neuroscience, and and I moved universities actually the next year because there was a brand new degree discipline at Otago University in Dunedin, New mm. Zealand. So I transferred to to that, and I was the first cohort to graduate from that. Wow. Um, and, and we were all, had all kind of read that book at that time. This was in the early 90s and it just captivated me. I was so, I couldn't think of anything more interesting. And I still can't. I still, <laughs> I still, there is neuroscience is such an incredibly broad, deep, and rich subject. And there's just so many things worth, to think yeah. about. And I still feel like that every day. Um, I do, ever since then, have always kept up to date with neuroscience textbooks. And I think, I don't want to recommend a textbook to your shelf, but I was very excited to see the sixth edition of Principles of Neural Science, which was the textbook that we used in my undergraduate degree and the latest edition just came out a few weeks ago. So I was very, very excited to get that arrive in the mail. And, and for me, it was really cool because I sort of sat the first edition I owned and the current edition side by mm. side. It was kind of, a this about sort of 25, 30 years between those two editions. And to see the history of Mm. the neuroscience, how it's grown and changed over the course of my career, there in the chapter outlines, I I, that was fascinating to look through and to see where the focus has moved to and what we've learned about. And
1: So cool.
0: That was a really cool moment a couple of weeks ago. And I I said, well, there's there's my neuroscience career, kind of in summary form.
1: Yeah and there's, and, and it's exciting to think about where it's going to be in the next 25 too, uh, as we move forward and looking at different technologies and Mm. new, new research into really exploring new possibilities, uh, as you know, that's, that's, that for me more on the clinical side is, is so darn exciting because that, that could open up new options for people to, to choose. And that's great to hear. And, when you think about you know we, we give you the crystal ball and you can shape the future in brain health, you know what does that look like for for you you know in in just a couple of sentences you know what what is what do you want to see the future look like in this work in your work you know what what what, what would you like to see
0: that's really interesting i don't think about the future very much I guess for me it's still really important that there's there's exploration around that, that, that we're, we're focusing on an evidence base. That we're not offering kind of hype or yeah. We really are working towards offering people evidence based therapies because choice is a wonderful thing, but it's very, very, very easy if someone needs help or is in a situation of vulnerability to grasp on to whatever's offered. And everyday people, I mean, that need to Smith away can't sort of tease out what is yeah. real and what is not and i think that you know it can be that can be really really dangerous for some people so i would hope that that we would continue to explore evidence based options for people and that they are offered to the people who need them not just the people who can afford them for me that's really really important because i don't want people scrambling around clutching at straws and i often get people approach me to do some of my training programs And, you know, it may be someone with a new diagnosis in a child or perhaps a partner has a brain tumour or someone's mother's just been diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's and and they come to me and say, oh, can I do your course? Can I do your course so I can learn more? And they're not the people that should be doing my course because I'm not going to offer them a solution or an answer or a cure and I don't want to give them false hope. I would never, never do that. So I want people to continue working towards evidence-based options that are available to all people and and, to, and to remain ethical about that because yeah. <laughs> it's very very easy to use there's this real you know you, you'd be familiar with this term the seductive allure of neuroscience explanations and people are captivated by and enthusiastic about all things neuroscience and it's very very easy to be kind of bamboozled by neuroscience language words that aren't really offering anything to someone so that's that's. I, I. I would really hope that what is offered is has a really good, solid evidence base behind it. I love
1: that, and that's the only way we can move forward. You know that. You know, it kind of parlays to some of what I really hope for the future too. Is that many people? We're all human, right? So. You know, seemingly we're also a little bit naturally, a little bit lazy at times. You know, we want the fast and easy approach. You know, we want the slick marketing to work. We want the silver bullet. But in my experience, that's just not how things change. And that's not how even new habits are formed. You know, if you have a fast and easy approach that improves something, that's probably not going to translate into behavior and into habit. And so, you know, I'm totally with you on that one. And, you know, I just want to thank you again for your time today. And I, I want to, for everybody listening here, I want you to please, please, please check out Sarah's work, please. Okay. The website's going to be in the show notes here. It's Mackay.com. Go on there. She, I don't know how she does all that she does. She's amazing. smoking mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: say that to me? <laughs>
1: no, it's inquiring.
0: Honestly, I nap most, I have an afternoon nap most days. I walk ah, my dog. Okay,
1: I, there's uh, yeah. sleep.
0: <laughs> I, I I drive my children, my boys, just a lot of sport, and so you know, I'm I'm not as busy as I look.
1: <laughs> well, th- most um, fa- th- of the time you, I'm just sitting
0: reading a neuroscience textbook.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? We're gonna have to do this again. Maybe hone right in on on the woman in the brain. I would really yeah, be interested yeah, yeah. in that. I really would. <laughs> like, I, let's book that. And and also sleep. Um, you're. Yeah. You're a gift. And I'm just grateful for everything that you're doing. And I wish you a great day in Sydney, Australia. And um, we'll talk soon.
0: Okay, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Have a great day.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Brain Mastery podcast brought to you by ABI Wellness. Be sure to follow us on social media channels at ABI Wellness. Statements made regarding the Bears platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the Bears platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The Bears platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic
1: Act requires this notice.